We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity Segments, Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. And I'm excited to welcome the program, Caregiver Dave Nassani. Dave, how are you? What's up, man? Hey, how you doing? Another beautiful day in L.A. Oh, yeah. And this guy and I are, I don't, I think he is a bigger sci-fi nerd than I am. So <laughs> I'm excited to have on the program Murr from Impractical Jokers and a guest, James E. Murray, author of The Stowaway. So you have two characters then, James, right? Yeah, I, I, I think as humans, we all have multiple characters, you know, I, I have more, I have multiple personalities. So yes, you can really yeah. help me on that one. Okay. Yeah, can you be my therapist when it comes to my multiple personalities? No, you know? I can play one on TV, but no, I'm not qualified in any way. <laughs> so, you know, and it's interesting. We talked last time about one of your other books. How many books have you written? Uh, well, The Stowaway is our fifth book. It just came out a few days ago. And we have uh, three more coming out next year, a kid's book series called Area 51 Interns, which is a great, fun kids, you know, 10 to 12, uh, 8, 8 to 12 year old read, you know. So the total number of books you've written is about eight now? Uh, it'll be eight, uh, but we have, uh, well, I guess nine, because we have another one that we haven't announced yet coming out in December uh, as a little surprise for fans. And then, um, and then we're about to pitch a, a tenth book uh, this fall. <laughs> so he has the greatest life, uh, Murr does, because the fact he built a show that with his friends, and then he got to do what his passion was, Dave, that maybe wouldn't have the success that he has as a writer, Dave, because of his brand. Is that interesting? Brand, brand builds everything, doesn't it, Dave? As we talked sure about. Sure does. Sure does. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I wrote the first book, Awakened, in 2004, but I had no brand. I had, I, I naively thought I could just send it in publishers and they would get published. It didn't. <laughs> it got returned to me unopened. The only people who read the first book six, 18 years ago was Q and my mother. <laughs> and they both loved it, but I had to, uh, uh, you know, get on Jokers. And we had to create the TV show and uh, uh, it took 15 years to get the book published. And then it wow. hit one on international bestseller list and everything like that, but it's led to this entire literary career, but a long time coming. Man. Look at that. A 15 year overnight success. Good for exactly you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so did you know you were a writer before you wrote your first book? Uh, you know, I wrote the first book on a dare. I wrote a short story and I sent it to my, my buddy and he called me up like a half hour later and said, this is a novel. You should, what happened before or after this is really good. And so I wrote the book around a single short story. And that led to the Awakened Trilogy, which led to all the other subsequent books, which are different. They're standalone books. But um, yeah, I mean, I always wanted to be a writer, too, as well as a comedian on TV. Um, I went to school for writing. Uh, I have a degree from, uh, in writing from Georgetown and always dreamt of one day being an author as well. So, yeah, it was kind of cool. <laughs> and what do you say to authors that, you know, get first get started? Just write? Especially look how many people write books every year, publish books, yeah. self-published, any type of publishing genre. What, what, what advice would you give them? I mean, don't suck is a good one. Like the book, <laughs> should, you know, at first the book should be good. You know, so I guess the question is, are you a good writer? If so, stick with it, you know? And I, I guess the, the, there's so many more avenues to publish now than there were 15 years ago, even 10 years ago, you know? Uh, now, I, I mean, self-publishing through the Amazon platform is completely viable and a great way to, if you have a platform, if you have a fan, can build a fan base or price the right marketing and pricing strategy, there's more ways than ever to put out your creative work, you know? Yeah. And there's so many ways to write a book today. I mean, today is the best time to be writing a book. How long does it generally take you and what method do you use? Are you doing it all by yourself? Good. You have other people helping you out? 
every book is different. The stowaways a really interesting, weird, unusual story of how we sold it. It does not happen like this usually, but uh, I'll be honest. We got a little drunk at lunch with the uh, publisher. Uh, we, we took him out to lunch. I treated. And, uh, and at the, uh, during the, the, the lunch, uh, I said to uh, our editor, I said, what are you interested in? Tell me what you like. And he said, yeah, I don't know. You know, I haven't seen anything about a cruise ship. And I said, huh. And just spontaneously, while drunk in the moment, I pitched him the idea. I said, how about a, a serial killer on board a cruise ship? And the juror that acquitted him two years earlier is on board. And it's up to her to stop him before he kills again. And he's like, like it was totally off the cuff, inspired by whiskey kind of conversation. And, uh, and he said, I've never heard. That's a great idea. And then we created the idea on the subway ride home back to my old apartment. And, uh, and then a week later, sent in a summary for it and they bought it. That was it. So it yeah, doesn't. Brilliant. Matter. Brilliant. Let me write that down. Get yeah. publisher drunk. Okay. <laughs> you got to get in front of the publisher first, right? Because that's <laughs> yeah. the big thing. And James, 15 years ago, you couldn't get in front of publishers. They would laugh at you, right? It yeah, not, it's, not... yeah. It does help having, um, you know, uh, being on TV. Yeah, platform. It does help. I'll be honest. Yeah. And is that in most of your people who buy your book, do you think they're fans of yours or do you think you have a mixture? I think, it, uh, yes and no. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, I think it starts that way usually uh, is that somebody knows us or something like that. And, and uh, you know, Harper Collins did the Awakened Trilogy. Uh, Blackstone did uh, Don't Move. This is St. Martin's Press. And uh, the, the kids book series is Penguin Random House. So I think it always starts with um, them knowing the show, being fans of the show. And that's kind of like the in. But, but at the end of the day, it's still got to be a good book. You know, it can't, it doesn't matter how popular you are, how successful the platform, it still has to be good. So that goes back to my first uh, suggestion for a writer out there. Don't suck. <laughs> and what do you say if they suck? Find another thing to do, right? If you heard no. me sing right now, Murray'd say, please don't sing. That just I, go, I, go I, or take some classes focus, and learn no, that. No, no, I said, sure. no. I say focus on your talent and become the very best at it and continue to grow through it. So focus on what you're great at, not focusing on things that you're mediocre at just because you have everyone has their talent. And that's a great point. So now I guess, Murr, when you're thinking about this book, a, a goal for all of them would be as a writer for them to become movies, right? Sure. Did you say? Yeah, I think uh, we, all of our books that we write uh, are, are meant to be adapted into film or TV, right? That we, we write very cinematically. Uh, so when you read our books, it's a fast read. It's like reading an episode of the TV show 24. It's got cliffhanger, cliffhanger ending after ending. Uh, it's got m big visual movie moment scenes that stick with you long after the book, uh, you finish the book. So like in, in The Stowaway, what The Stowaway is about is a, a woman named Maria Fontana, who is a juror on a serial killer case of the century. She, uh, she can't find it in herself to vote guilty and the guy goes free. Two years later, she's on a transatlantic cruise with her twin kids and her fiance and halfway across the Atlantic, three days in any direction from land or help, kids start disappearing on the boat in the same way they did on the serial killer case. So she starts to wonder, did I let a killer go free? Is he on board? Is it a copycat? Or is there something far more sinister going on? And she's literally the only person on board that can possibly stop him and has the inside knowledge of the case that can stop him before he kills again. It's a great read. But in the stowaway, I'll give you an example. Uh, there's a scene that I, my favorite scene, my favorite chapter in the book, it is super cinematic and it's terrifying and it's so simple, which I think is, uh, a key ingredient in, in horror is the, the simpler the crime, the, the 
the more terrifying it is and how easy it is to do and pull off. So there's a scene, uh, uh, there's a, uh, a basketball court in the back of the ship, uh, just like the Joker's Cruise. We modeled the ship after the Impractical Joker's Cruise, you know, uh, <laughs> the actual Norwegian uh, cruise line ship. And so there's a basketball court in the back of the ship. And late at night, it's like 11 o'clock at night, a kid goes down to play, sh to shoot some hoops alone. And, uh, and unbeknownst to him, uh, a German comes up, a, a killer comes up, the killer on board, and uh, asks if he wants to dunk the ball. Uh, he's like a 10-year-old kid. He's, and so he's going to lift him up so he can dunk. He can reach the rim, right? And, uh, and he lifts him up. The kid takes the shot. And then he just doesn't let go and carries him right to the edge of the railing. And gone he goes. It's so simple, a murder. And so it's everyone's worst nightmare, especially a parent on a cruise ship. And it was, the chapter will stick with you for the rest of your life. I promise you every time you go on a cruise ship. And it's like, scenes like that are meant to be movie moments, you know? Uh, yeah. So they, we, we write that into every single book, those kind of moments. And um, our last book, don't move just got adapted into a screenplay and will be a movie. So there you go. Wow, Good for you. Yeah. The screenplay is great. It's really uh, good. I want to talk about the 15 years that you were trying to get uh, discovered did you, there are so many options. Did you choose to uh, self-publish? I mean, what did you do during those 15 years? Did you just give up and try to work on something else? Become a star, right? Yeah. Uh, well, along the way, uh, I wrote the novel and it you know, didn't go anywhere at first, uh, Awakened. Uh, and, then, and then, of course, 15 years later, it hit number one on the international bestseller list, you know, so... But uh, what I did was I uh, then started selling TV shows. I got a job in TV development and I did that for a decade. Uh, so my job was literally to create and pitch TV shows uh, for a production company, the company that makes Impractical Jokers. And along the way is my, uh, in my career as a TV developer, that's when we created Jokers and I pitched it for my job and, and sold it uh, and worth the treatment for it and everything like that and we shot a sales tape. And so that's what I did for a decade that led up to Impractical Jokers. So your advice to uh, aspiring authors is if this isn't working, try something else, may come back to it. Yeah, there, there's no uh, there's no good book or no real book on how to make it in the business or, you know, what I mean, there's not because uh, the lesson is that there's a million ways to get to the same destination. You know, and you're and how do you feel that you did it? Like, especially looking at your friends and how you guys created this show. How do you think, you said there's no way of making this, but there's so many different ways to make it. What do you think was that big break that made it so that you got discovered? If I knew back then what I know now, I think we would have gotten on TV in our mid-20s instead of our mid-30s. You know, we're 45 now. We've been on TV 11 years. Uh, but uh, I, I would have immediately out of college started pitching TV shows to production companies, would have had some options, then would have gotten a job in TV development a decade earlier. Uh, and, uh, and it would have led to maybe not jokers it might've led to a different show, but that's how we got our hour in. I would do the same thing, just have 10 years more hair, uh, and started, started 10 years earlier, you know? And, and I like, <laughs> I like when you say that specifically, it's not, it's an important part of being discovered is being connected to the right people and meeting the right people and learning what they're looking for. Right. It's yeah. not, it's, and having talent, talent's definitely part of it. Yeah. That. Jokers was a calculated, uh, creative choice. We, uh, I was in working in development and I had heard from meeting from pitching lots of different networks at the time in like 2010, that hidden cameras coming back, Justin Bieber relaunched uh, punked and a couple other networks were trying hidden camera again. And they were all saying the same thing. What is the new version of a hidden camera show? What, how can it be done differently than candy camera or punked or, and so uh, the guys and I literally got together that night and I said, look, this is what I'm hearing from networks. 
I think I can sell a show like this. What, what, what can we come up with? And the four of us were not pranksters. We didn't, you know, we, we, you know, like to embarrass each other, uh, like in our personal lives. Like we always did stuff like that, but we weren't like jackass or anything like that. So we came up with our spin on the format, which is the joke being on us instead of on the public. There is no reveal like in a hidden camera show. Ah, you just got pranked. We're the ones getting pranked. We we're throwing each other under the bus on purpose uh, and forcing us to improvise, which we're an improv group uh, uh, for the public's uh, enjoyment. So the public is just there to witness our embarrassment and that spin on a hidden camera format uh, plus our natural chemistry as uh, best friends was enough to give the show legs, you know. Uh, how involved did your publisher get involved in the um, in the promotion? Everyone says, oh, don't count on your publisher to promote it. You've got to promote it yourself. So where was the ratio of promotion from you and or your publisher? Well, I mean, you know, gosh, we, we've got uh, a lot of fans over the many years on social media and things like that. So obviously a, a lot of the promotion comes from self-generated, you know what I mean? And, which is one of the reasons why they like working with us is, sure. is what the platform I bring to the table that's different from a probably a typical author. Uh, but I mean, that being said, the, you know, the publisher does a great job. They, they're, they're excellent. You know, they, um, uh, every publisher I've worked with has, has really kind of risen to the challenge of uh, thinking outside the box. We do crazy promotions, crazy things. We do a, a virtual book launch for, you know, hundreds of fans and around the world. And, uh, and then we do in sign in person book signings with, you know, five, 600 people in a bookstore. It's, it's, Wow. It's wild. You know, it, it's uh, they, they kind of go with it really well. And they they lend the the infrastructure and the, the support that we need to make it all happen. Now, let's talk about the, the stowaway. And you talked about portions of it. Is there sci fi to this? What's the sci fi to this? Because I no, know not so is not sci fi at all. Not, not, not sci fi at all. I thought I was reading that. Oh, no. So not at all. But you're a writer oh. of sci fi, but no sci fi. There was no robots that came in at the end. There's of the movie. no no yeah. The stowaway is a mystery thriller. It is uh like Silence of the Lambs, That's you know. Stephen King. Yeah, <laughs> it is, it's not uh, the, the Awaken trilogy is sci-fi thriller. Don't move is horror, pure horror, and the stowaway is mystery thriller. Okay, so here's quick questions: favorite horror movie, favorite oh. sci-fi movie. Oh, it's on on my desk somewhere. Okay, favorite <laughs> horror movie of all time. Uh, the the descent, uh, which is so good, uh, and I have the book right above my desk here somewhere. Uh, the descent is a great, great th- a horror. Uh, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Uh, but but also aliens. Oh man, you know, Alien and Aliens are fantastically good. I just watched uh, Malignant last week, and that was great too, man. That was really good. I was very happy with it. Uh, I think it's the best, uh, you know, horror movie of the year for sure. Uh, but I would say uh, either Aliens or The, the Descent. It's favorite horror, favorite horror movies. What about and sci-fi? Well, Aliens is sci-fi for sure. Sci-fi, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, probably my favorite sci-fi horror movie, even more than Aliens, is probably Event Horizon. Okay. All right. Well, you're, you're real, a real genius. I mean, usually somebody has one genre, they stick with it. But yeah. you can, oh, what do you want? Oh, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, you know, we like switching genres a bit. Uh, the, the, the Stowaway is the broadest category book for sure. Like it's, it is in the mystery section of a bookstore, not in the sci-fi, not in the horror section, you know? So I like that. I like being in, in different uh, book kills, you know? <laughs> being a sci-fi guy, are you going to be one of the people that goes to space first? No, not, no. Not, no. You, in like five, 10 years, you're going to be going to Mars or the moon. 
No, I, I will not. No, I, no I, desire, I'm huh? I, could, I, I didn't even want to go skydiving, much less, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll show you on my desk. I don't know if you can see behind, but there's a, a um, you know, a proton pack from Ghostbusters. There's a DeLorean. And then do you guys recognize this? No, I don't. What is that? The movie Krull. Oh my gosh. You're this yeah. is this the greatest movie weapon other than a lightsaber. The Kroll Glaive, they call it. You have that tons of collections, weapon. and you, you're a Star Wars guy too. But no, you're not going. You're not going to space anytime. Soon. I will not. I, 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 if I could transport into a future where Star Trek was real, I would go to space. But I want to be on the Enterprise with a, you know, a replicator. I want to have a holodeck. You know, that future I'll jump into. Not going on a, you know, uh, the uh, Elon Musk adventure. What's it? The Blue Origin, whatever. Whatever the ship's called. Yeah, not yeah. happening to you. You'll, have, you'll wait. You'll wait to like when in your like seventies or eighties to maybe whenever we are inhabiting all over the place. You know, it, and it, then you'll. It, go. I tell you what they say that uh, you know, uh, flying cars and space travel is always twenty years away. It's been twenty years away for the past you know thousand years. <laughs> so, uh, space, I'll tell you, is hap gonna it's happening, and we'll have to definitely talk about that in our time if we ever get a chance. Where are you located? You're in LA. Uh, no, I'm in Princeton, New Jersey. I live uh, New Jersey. Okay. Yeah, we show, uh, in the New York area. We'll have to, whenever I'm that area, we'll, we'll definitely do that. All right. So Dave finishes up the show with a caregiving question. So we've gone everywhere in this conversation from sci-fi to horror to just, hey, I'm multiple personalities, but here's Dave's oh. question. Oh, wow. I could see a horror sci-fi flick that has to do with caregivers. Anyway, my wife had a stroke 25 years ago. We grieved for a couple of years. We reinvented ourselves. We almost broke up, but now she's an amazing person, like a Martha Stewart Wonder Woman rolled into one. She lost uh, feeling on one side of her body, paralyzed. She's speech impaired. And yet we go around uh, helping caregivers to survive. 30% of them die before their loved ones do from the stress. Wow. I've spoken on stages all over the world. Just got back from London, speaking at the London Stock Exchange. I've been on 50 TV shows, just sharing our message of hope to people, you know, just don't do what I did because I broke every rule in the book. So my yeah. question to you, you know, I believe that uh, everyone is either going to become a caregiver or need a caregiver. It's inevitable. It's coming. It's that tsunami on the horizon. Uh, how has caregiving affected your life? Uh, you know, one of the uh, main reasons I uh, wanted to write a book and I started writing books was um, probably because I saw my father always wanted to be a, a, an, an author, and uh, he is a few credits short of a master's in, in writing. Wow. And he got drafted and had to then, after, after being in the military, he then had to provide for our family, and uh, he never got to it. He had to get a job and never got to it. And unfortunately, his, his Alzheimer's is so advanced at this point, he can't, so he can't do it. And, um, and I think I, I, that always stuck with me. That is something that it was a dream of his he never got to do. Um, and when I talk about it, I get a little bit caught up in, in, um, in it that, you know, that he unfortunately can't read my books anymore. And so when he sees, he sees the, his, he has the same name, right? He sees his name on the books and he thinks that he wrote it. You know, it's, uh, um, I think it's one of the main reasons I, I keep writing, uh, is, uh, you know, just kind of like a dream that he never got to do himself. And, uh, you know, gosh, what a, I, I have nothing but the greatest respect for, for your story and, and, and your life and what you do and what you do and, and speak to people about around the world. Um, yeah, I think every family is, you know, I agree entirely. Every family is 
dramatically affected by this. And um, it's something we deal with on a daily basis. My mother deals with it on, on a daily basis. And uh, thank God for the, uh, the TV show. It has uh, put me in a, in a position that I'm able to help out much more than I ever thought I would be able to. Yeah. Um, and a typical family is able to. Um, but, uh, you know, we deal with it in our own ways. And as a family, we try to, uh, you know, <sighs> tough. It's very tough, man. Hey, but well, Jay, so I how much of your success did your uh, father was he able to see? Um, the first year or two, you know, and he's been on a couple episodes of the TV show. You know, he, he can't do it anymore. But the last time we put him on TV was maybe six, seven years, seven, seven, seven years ago. Well, um, I know he's very proud of you. Yeah, yeah, he was there for the premiere, and he, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, it was you, yeah, a good character. I, I was just looking the other day at photos from the premiere party. Uh, you know, a decade ago is coming up. The uh, the show premiered. We started filming in 2010, but it premiered 10 years ago in about a month or two. And uh, I was looking through photos of, of the whole family together back then. But yeah, it's uh, yeah. I'm working on my fourth book. Uh, I'm I'm an author as well, and uh, yeah. first book has to do with caregiving. So caregiverdave.com. Yeah, all right. We're live. So everyone needs to check that out. But Murr, we appreciate it. And I tell you, you really motivate us each and every day to go out there and do things in, in the, the, the American dream, the American story, of what you've been able to accomplish and with your friends. It's got to feel so amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, been a fun ride, man. It's uh, really has been very, uh, uh, you know, I hope you guys like the stowaway when you read it. Uh, you'll love it, I promise you. And uh, I, I hope it affects you in a good way. <laughs> all right. So best place is available. Amazon, all those different places. You have a website too. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, of course, any your local bookstores will have a so by the hour long off the cuff Q and a with uh, my co-writer and I, Darren and I, which is really good. And then if you want an, uh, an autographed copy, just go to meetmer.com M E E T meet and you com, And I'll send one from my house right to your house. All right, Mer, we appreciate it. Thanks again. Catching up next book. I look forward to talking to you again. Take care. You got it, guys. Take care. All right. All right. That was the Caregiver Dave Celebrity segment. Take care, guys. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Caregiver Dave Celebrity segment. Welcome to the program, Caregiver Dave Nassani. Dave, how are you? And uh, you hey. are just, again, talk London. That experience was amazing, wasn't it? You talked about it so much, but I want to hear the whole experience because these kind of experiences are bucket list memories that you'll never forget. It was Neil. It was uh, it was the amazing trip of a lifetime. Uh, it it was postponed like two or three times because of COVID, and finally my promoter just says, "You know what? We've got to do it because if we don't do it, I fear that uh, Europe's going to close down and we're we're never going to get over there." And the original plan was for my wife and I to go there and to, you know relax and spend uh, two three weeks, not only in London but in. Uh, uh, Italy and Venice and uh, Paris, but she was a little freaked out from COVID because, you know, you read the UK website and it just sounds like, oh my God, you know, you got to quarantine for 10 days and you got to take a, a test on day two and another test on day eight. And so um, I, I didn't know if I was going to even make it, but my guys went there ahead of me and says, hey, it's a joke. I mean, no one's even uh doing anything that uh, no one's wearing masks the hotels don't even know that you're uh uh you know under quarantine etc so i i felt safe and i did a three-day whirlwind trip i went on a sunday came back on a wednesday and i spoke at the london stock exchange just talking about my faith a different subject 
because I lost all my money in 2008, you know, and I figured it was an appropriate topic for a stock, stock exchange, exactly. global recession, et cetera, stock market crash. And uh, I think I'm going to start telling this story uh, more and more because, you know, this is me. This is how I got to who, to where I am. Uh, it's a little early. I'm, my brain's still. <laughs> it's okay. Um, but so it's well, great. Uh, I want to hear the story. So you said we know the caregiving story, but we never don't. We do not know the story yeah. that you spoke about, which is in 2008. So what happened in 2008 that kind of some of your wealth went away in the, from the crash? Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, I, I began my story just uh, with a great hook line in the beginning and just, but officer, what do you mean? Uh, somebody is actually selling crack cocaine from my address. And I went on to talk about how, you know, 2008 was the subprime mortgage crisis and, and uh, the bank regulators didn't do their job and they caused the uh, banks to uh, sell uh, real estate to uh, buyers who couldn't afford to pay it back. And that caused, you know, a global recession and uh, stock market to crash and real estate prices to collapse. And I talked about my own experience, you know, it affected uh, big and small businesses alike. I was on the verge of bankruptcy. My home was in foreclosure. They were getting ready to do a trustee sale on Christmas Eve, 2009 of all dates. And I held up a big stack of credit cards like this. This is what uh, $500,000 worth of unsecured wow. debt looks like when you can't even make the payments and so on and so on. Creditors were calling me from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. Uh, at my business and my home. Uh, how I bought an apartment building in Nashville as a flip. But all of a sudden, I realized that my tenants weren't paying the rent. And uh, 10 of them were actually selling crack cocaine out of their apartments. I, I, I had to just give the, um, uh, I couldn't make the mortgage payments. So I, I gave the apartment back to the bank in lieu of foreclosure. Had another building in LA that I converted to a coffee shop because my daughter decided she wanted to have a business for her and her husband. And so wasn't that nice of me? <laughs> Everything was fine until she caught him sleeping with a uh, cute little 17 year old barista that worked for them. Well, that ended up in divorce. And, and of course she didn't want the coffee shop anymore. I couldn't uh, sell it or rent it to anybody because we were in the middle of a recession. Oh, geez. Who could afford a $5 latte in those days? Right. So, had to give that one back. Uh, lost a total of about $1.5 million in cash equity and uh, defaulted on half a million dollars in unsecured debt. And I had nowhere else to turn except to my faith. And so I was suing the guy who sold me the apartment building because I was de uh, in default. But I had a mentor who says, man, you don't want to do that. That's just three years of negative energy. And I says, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> <I says, laughs> My attorney says we can win. He says, you know what? Uh, he prayed over me. And uh, when I came up from the prayer, I just says, you know what? God is my vindicator. He says, I will repay. And so I called my attorney. I says, you know, drop the lawsuit. She goes, what? Are you crazy? I says, no, I, I just don't want to have three years of negative energy and, and just bitterness surrounding me. Uh, I, I have faith. I'm just going to trust that God will take care of him and he'll take care of me. And, you know, Neil, in a period of seven, eight, nine years, 
he totally reversed it. I, I use the example of the, the book of Job in the Bible, you know, okay. uh, God and Satan were having this conversation in heaven. And God says, have you noticed my servant Job? He, he's a righteous man. He fears God and he shuns evil. And uh, Satan came back sarcastically to God. He says, does Job fear God for nothing? You put a hedge of protection around him. I can't touch him. If you allow me to, uh, you know, torment him, he'll curse you to your face. And God said, do it, only spare his life. And immediately Job, like all of his sheep, his cattle, his uh, field hands, his servants were attacked and killed by marauders. And then all of a sudden a great wind blew the roof off the house of Job's oldest son and everyone that he was entertaining, all his siblings had died. And then Job became uh, from head to toe, uh, painful sores all over his body. And yet in all of this, Job did not sin. In fact, he declared the most uh, amazing thing that was ever recorded in human history. He says, I was naked when I came into this world. I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be his name. And, you know, God was so pleased with Job's response in his test like that, that he double, uh, he gave him a double portion of everything he had lost gave him a long life. He saw his children, his great-grandchildren, and uh, he gave him seven more sons and daughters to replace the ones he lost. And, you know, in 2008, I felt just like Job. Yes. I'd lost all that stuff. And today, I am debt-free. I am making double what I was making before 2008, and I own double my net worth uh, more than I was in 2008. And, I mean, it's a miracle. And there are still a lot of people today who are, who are suffering from that uh, terrible time. Right. Why me? I mean, I feel like, you know, uh, Lieutenant Dan, two people go to, so, to Vietnam yeah. and one comes back in a body bag and one comes back healthy. And, and I don't know why me. All I know is what I did. I trusted. I was positive. I, I started the, uh, uh, these declarations, you know, uh, that are in scripture you know, of how uh, I am the head and not the tail and so on. It's just a long story of the things that I just did daily, believing yes. that all things work for good to them that serve him. And I've never told that story uh, publicly. I've spoken uh, on 30 stages all across the country, spoken on television uh, 50 times, you know, about the gas station, about my caregiving experience. But I felt like I was going through the stroke. You know, 25 years ago, yes. my wife went through a stroke lost her speech, became paralyzed. But now this was my stroke, my financial stroke. Yeah, and I'm stronger and wiser. You know, I say I wouldn't want to repeat it for a million dollars, but I wouldn't want to replace it for a billion because it's made me stronger. It's made me wiser. Uh, I have a confidence that I've never had before. My faith is never stronger. My marriage is never stronger. And that's my story and I'm sticking to it. So Dave, the kind of saying used faith, but you also had a plan. Because we can use our faith all the time, but we also have to take action with a plan, correct? Absolutely. And I had a plan. I had a daily plan that I was on every single day, prayed, meditated, read the Bible. And uh, that, was, that was how I made it through. What about plans strategically to get out of all of it? Did you have well, yeah, that's, actions? That's how I got out of it. Uh, God gave me wisdom. You know, I have, a, I have a hammock and I'm writing a book about hammock wisdom and whenever I pray and meditate, uh, I can solve the world's problems on my hammock. I'm writing my book now, uh, almost done. But um, part of it was talking to an attorney with the gas station. He figured out a plan, a document to sign. 
I had a partner who I owned the gas station with. Right. We put we put it in their name, and we had to trust them. They were good Christian people. We had to trust them that in five years, when all of this was over, when the statute of limitations was uh, gone and all that stuff, that they would give it back. So he signed an option agreement where I became a consultant, and I earned ten ninety nine income. Can't be attached. Wow. And uh, it, so in exchange for all of that, I had an option to become. Uh, half partner again in five years for the sum of $100. It worked. <laughs> uh, he saved my house. At the time, Obama was doing the uh, mortgage uh, uh, modifications. Yes. It took me 18 months to get approved for a, a loan modification. I didn't make a payment in 18 months. All of those payments, which I had hung on to just in case, because you know my wife had gone through a stroke. The last thing I wanted her to do was be evicted uh, out of our home and have to move into this tiny little apartment. I was hoping and praying. Um, I had the money in the bank just in case, and I was using a lot of it, I, but I, I still couldn't afford my payment. But they reduced my payment by 40%. After 18 months, I was able to hang on to the house, was able to put that, that arrears toward the end of the uh, loan and uh, got a 1% mortgage. Uh, what else? Uh, I did debt negotiation with the creditors, <laughs> 15 cents on the dollar. I ended up paying them. Uh, many of them just went away, but there were two or three that were going to sue me and they were serious about it. And so I, I threatened bankruptcy. I said, listen, if you sue me, I'm going to go bankrupt and then you'll get nothing. Why don't you work with me? And I, I worked with this debt negotiator and um, he was charging a lot of money. So I said, you know what? I could do this myself. And so I, I would call them one by one and I would negotiate great settlement plans. It took me like two or three years to pay everybody off 15 cents on the dollar. But I'm today, like I said, I'm debt free and I'm making double what I was making before. And I give the glory to God. And you and I think also you talk about your, your faith every day, positivity, your faith, but also the fact of having an action plan. And you had yeah. that action plan the whole way through, but you've learned lessons through this. Lessons yeah. are not to put yourself in so much debt. Right. Oh, so it will never right. happen again. Right. Never, ever, ever uh, get a, uh, a line of credit on your house and use that for investments to flip real estate, this and that. You know, we were in the, in the middle of a real estate boom. Nobody thought it would ever end. I and mean, gonna, and I should know better. Again. I've seen booms bust before. Right. This, do you think this one's going to be the boom that's bust? I mean, yes, this, yes, I, yes, I, 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 yes, and yes. Because we didn't fix anything, Neil. In no. 2008, we turned on the printing press and we printed all that money, the TARP money, and we bailed out the banks and we bailed out the real estate. We didn't bail out the little guys like us, you know, except with the mortgage uh, modification, stuff like that. But a lot of people didn't uh, qualify for that. Today, they're doing the same thing. They didn't fix the problem. They just threw fake money at it. And, uh, you know, when you turn on the printing press, you have inflation. And people say, well, where's the inflation? This was like for the last 12, 13 years. Well, inflation was in the real estate and it was in the stock market. That's why real estate and uh, home prices have been doing fantastic because that's called inflation. Yes. Okay. And it's going to pop. And I'm invested in all the right things now. Before I was invested in all the wrong things. What do I own, you ask? Well, I own gold and silver, physical gold and silver, because that paper crap is, is just crap. I owned some cryptos, uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and uh, this one called Car Cardano, ADA. And then um, I also own my business, of course. So things that are inflation proof is what I own. 
I don't trust the banks. I don't, uh, I keep very little money in the banks for a long time. You know, I, I bought a very uh, expensive safe and kept it in there, but then I was worried about the cash. The cash is starting to eat away uh, 15, 20% a year. What kind of investment is that? Holding onto investment that each year you lose 20%. So that's why I went into cryptos and I went into it at the right time. Even today, you know, it's up and down and up and down. But I'm I'm fifty uh, percent annual return uh, better. I was a hundred percent, but it just keeps going up and down. The more money we spend, the more money we print. Uh, crypto, seeing, Bitcoin seeing, is, is going to be around for a, a long time. We're seeing inflation. We're seeing different things, and you're 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 definitely people are choosing get rich quick. And when that happens, you end up falling flat on your face at one point in time. It might yeah. look great now, but unless you have something that's inflation proof and recession proof or depression proof we're about to see it so i guess dave you'll be doing lots of tv shows about this very soon once it happens right when's yeah. the next big thing <laughs> it was funny i was talking to a colleague yes a couple of days ago about this pandemic looks like we're finally reaching its tail end covid's but already bill gates is talking about the, we're not ready for the next pandemic so that means that you continue to stay that route where it's recession proof and money that is going to not lose value, but we're going to see a big problem happening soon. So yeah. And everybody has their own opinion of the vaccine. You know, is it good? Is it bad? Uh, is COVID real? Is it fake? Uh, I don't even uh, express my opinion anymore because if, if I'm uh, if I have the vaccine and I'm talking to someone who doesn't, we're going to get into an argument. Yes. And if I don't have the vaccine and they do, we're going to get into an argument. Yeah. So I just say, sorry, I don't, I don't, I don't talk about that. I don't talk about that. That's, that's my, it's, it's some of my, your best, some of your best friends will, will leave you, you. for the I vaccine. Mean, you know, exactly. friends I've had for years and years and years. And then if they find out something, boy, it's like a light switch. Maybe I could do a bunch of TV shows saying how I won't, I won't tell people if I had the vaccine or not. And all I want to say is basically we need to have an oral vaccine and it's in the process, but COVID soon will be over. I give it a year. And you know, I, I was on um, uh, that. Uh, what is that? I can't even Clubhouse. think of the name Clubhouse yesterday. And there was this there was this room they were talking about the vaccines and they were playing this Grant Cardone interview where he was interviewing this guy. I don't remember who he was, but uh, he was talking about it. And I pinged you in. I don't know if you went, but um, uh, the Nuremberg trials of how Hitler used to experiment on people without their knowledge and stuff and that laws were actually written that protect us from any government uh, doing experimental drugs on us and this and that. And they're reading the laws. And I just, oh, my gosh, you know, they're breaking all these laws. And whether you're for it or against it, there are laws on the books back from the days of Hitler during the Nuremberg trials that are to prevent all this. Now, whether you're for the vaccine or against the vaccine, that's one thing, but nobody should have to be a guinea pig for any government on uh, drugs or vaccines that are uh, experimental in nature, yeah, you know? Absolutely. And, and many of the people who were talking uh, are, says, hey, I want the vaccine. I, well, great. And, and other people say, no, I don't want the vaccine. Well, you know, it's your choice. It should always be your choice. The government doesn't own our bodies. Exactly. And so, uh, something to think about. I, I had never thought of that angle before.
But I think that the topic that if I would try to do, and I wonder if they would want that, is how COVID vaccine has split families apart, split split friends apart. It's a great topic. It's like yeah. North versus the South back in the day. You're the Confederates. <laughs> it's or, the new Civil War. It's yes, a they, new Civil War. They figured I, out how great, to divide and conquer us. Yes. That's a great topic. So, see, Dave, this is what I see from you. You know, caregiving's where it started. Caregiver Dave will always say, but now you got to be the motivational speaker, start going on stages as a motivational speaker and speak about specific topics because not everyone can speak. The thing is, you could teach people how to speak. And I don't know if you signed disclosures on that or not, but you know how to public speak. You could speak on all these stages, but you can motivate people in so many ways. And but you should be on stages all over the world. And you are already, but getting handsomely paid. So keep working on that and find your go-to speech that's going to motivate people because I think this one that you did in the UK is going to hit it huge because everyone loves the rock bottom story. Caregiving story, yeah, that's great. But this one here, hey, I was able to double my money, change everything in 2008, and we all have gone through these crazy things. And it was great Uh, to have you back on the show. I've got to make a shameless plug before you let me go. Uh, I'm reading an amazing book by uh, one of my mentors, Clint Arthur, Wisdom of the Men. And and I'm not just saying this because he's my mentor or because he's my friend. Uh, I am truly riveted by this book. I'm reading the, uh, I'm listening to the audio book, Wisdom of the Men. He's basically opened up his entire life being very vulnerable and honest, telling the, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes him tick and how he got to where he was. Because he was broke, uh, taxi cab driver, you know, trying to become one of Hollywood's uh, success stories. But, you know, unless you are well-connected in Hollywood, you're not going anywhere. Uh, I can't put the book down, and I recommend it for anybody, uh, especially men who want to learn uh, how to succeed and and it doesn't matter whether you're broke or you're dead up to your nose, as we just discovered from my story. Uh, Wisdom of the men, I highly recommend it. Give it five stars. All right, Dave, we appreciate it, man. Take care and uh, look forward to another big celebrity interview. They're coming. They're coming big time. It's now the season. I love the season between October and Thanksgiving because the biggest celebrities come out of the woodwork. Yeah, and let's then, do another red carpet. Uh, yeah, exactly. They, I'm waiting. Oh, they're coming. Those kind of oh, things they're anymore? coming. And oh, yes, they are. I hope they're coming back. And COVID. And let's hope Bill Gates is wrong in the next pandemic. So okay. take care, Dave. We appreciate it, man. And we'll Thanks, talk very yeah. soon. All right, guys, that was the Bye-bye. caregiver Dave celebrity segment. Take care. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Photographic Memory Podcast. I'm excited to welcome the program, Dr. Shannon Panzo. Dr. Shannon, what's going on? How are you? Oh, I'm having a great day today, as usual, and everything is just happy here like it should be. All right. Okay. Awesome. And that's, that leads us to today's uh, today's big topic. And what is that topic? But before we have to know, Dr. Shannon's a photographic memory expert, brain management expert, and you can go to ZuxPro.com to get mentoring right now, right today. And that's definitely things because great things happen here. Our topic we're going to go into is programming involving the law of attraction and photographic memory. Programming is such an important part of it. It's not just like you think something, you will it, and it, it appears. There's a lot more to the process, and we've talked about it before, but we want to use how having a photographic memory, having the ability to really manage your brain is going to make things much easier when it comes to programming and attracting the things you want that are positive, correct? 
Well, I guess you could wrap it up that way. But let me uh, let me just take the opportunity to uh, to give you a sensation of what it's like whenever the law of attraction is working for you. Okay. The first thing is you're happy. You may be bored, but you're still happy. Okay. Why? Because things are falling your way. That is really what the results are that you want to get. You want to have things happening for you in the right way. Uh, not so that uh, now these are, you're still going to have trials and tribulations along the way. Those aren't going to cease, but your ability to work through those things becomes a lot easier if you have good results with your programming. Now your programming and the law of attraction basically work together. So the law of attraction is something you can't get away from. You're born with it. You will live it out throughout your entire life. It has a specific design for you. Yes, destiny is real. But if you come to understand that and what it means to you, then it's much easier to live your life and really have a very fulfilling life when it comes to your destiny. Uh, so resisting destiny is one thing and resisting destiny and programming against it. Well, that's going to lead to a lot of dissatisfaction in your life. And uh, look, just like everybody else, I went through all those things as I was learning about the law of attraction myself. And it took me a long time to understand all the principles about the law of attraction and how it actually works. So, uh, okay. Uh, Neil, you had some questions. Yeah. So talking about programming, sometimes you program something, but yet if you have negative thoughts, that programming is not going to work for programming something that's going to be positive in your life or the right thing that you really want to attract. Correct. Well, it's really important. It's really important that you, uh, that you program in a positive frame. Now there's a, there's a huge misunderstanding about programming in a positive way and not a negative way. And the other thing is uh, use of negative words in your programming. Now I've found out uh, basically through the basic principles of life, the first words that you learn in your life are no, stop, don't. Why? Because your parent or guardian wants to save you from harm. And these are the, these are the words that are literally pounded into us early on that tell us, hold up there. You're going to make a mistake. I'm trying to save you from uh, doing something that's going to be injurious, what have you. Okay. So that's how we learn about those words. Those words are usually learned before mommy and daddy. Now they're learned in our subconscious. Our subconscious knows exactly what those words mean. So when it comes to programming, sure, if you can do your programming and put it, always put it into positive terms, great. But if you, if you find something that you just can't get it into positive terms in that regard, then you can use the negative words. And don't feel, don't feel bad about using them as long as you get your results. It's all about getting results. It's not about conforming to somebody else's view as to what needs to be taking place. Um, a, a very good, for instance, and I'll, I'll just give you a wonderful little program that I started over 40 years ago. And that is, I never lose my wallet. Now, how many, Neil, how many people do you know 
that have never lost their wallet in the last 40 years. There's not a lot that some most people have at one point in time lost it, misplaced it. Right. Well, I haven't. Uh, I have misplaced it from time to time, but to find it again, no, no problem. But losing it, uh, outright losing it, because, oh, what a pain that would be. So I programmed it in. I used the word never in programming in, and I have never lost my wallet, which is great for me. And if, if that happens to be a system that you need to put in place, by all means, you can, you can borrow that program. Uh, I think it's well worth uh, taking that tiny bit of stress out of your life. So if you said that, just that example, I'm never going to lose my wallet, but in your mind, you're thinking you're going to lose your wallet, you're going to lose your wallet, you're going to lose your wallet. It's not going to program and you're going to lose your wallet, right? Well, actually, there's, it, it's, a twofold, it's a twofold street there. And there's a, there's a really interesting thing when you talk about losing something. When you lose something, you always want it back. If you give something away, you don't want it back. But if you lose something, you always want it back. And thus, that's why whenever you, uh, whenever you talk about losing something, you almost automatically get it back anyhow. So that, that's okay. The main thing is, is uh, you work with the programs as they as a are provided to you. Now, uh, when it comes to ZoxPro, I don't actually provide programs for my clients in ZoxPro. Uh, it's pretty much a hands-off with that because I figure that people are adult. They know what needs that they have to meet in their life. And I provide the mechanism, but they provide their own auspice of what they want to achieve in their life. Thus, they're putting their own programming in. So I provide the vehicle, but again, you provide your own imagination to doing what you do. Now, in the, uh, in the mentoring, though, uh, I have more of a hands-on approach because there are certain principles that I need to get cleared out of the way so that my mentoring clients can, uh, can do things very, very effectively and efficiently with me at uh, their own acceleration. And so what I do is I have a series of of uh, just a few real specific programs that do a whole world of a whole world of good straight up. These are very important to people, specifically because I need to clear that that old stuff out of the way, so that uh, so that my people can achieve. So if my Right. So I actually give them a few programs to start with to help them uh, move on their way in a very positive way first. Then we can get down to business, the good stuff. So what kind of programs? Are they simple programs you do first in the mentoring, the, the, the ones that... Well, there's, mm -hmm. well I, I'm not going to share those with you because those are only shared with my mentoring clients. But... Uh, these programs are pretty straightforward, pretty simple, but they take care of some lingering problems that most people have. Okay. And because that's the things that keep them stuck from achieving what they want to achieve in life. Right. Baggage. <laughs> yeah, baggage, different things, and that's what you do in mentoring. But using your photographic memory. So when you talk about particularly programming, if you don't stick to that particular program, it's just not going to work. It's like anything else in life, right? 
Well, whenever whenever we're dealing with programming, we need to we need to make sure that we're relaxed about what we program because if we're not relaxed about it, it sure isn't going to work for us. So you know, there's there's that in, involved as well. So your programming has to do with doing a meditation session. And along with your meditation session, that's where you're going to do your programming at. This is all basic stuff. So this is not uh, anything that uh, is anything new in, in the way of doing your programming. But whenever it comes to programming, uh, people need to uh, people need to get real with themselves as to what is really applicable in their life instead of uh, what isn't. Okay, uh, for instance. If you have, if you do not have the means to support a ocean-going yacht, then why would you program in to have an ocean-going yacht if you have no means to support the upkeep and maintenance of such? So something like that is is going to give you a real problem if something should ma actually manifest in that way. If something should manifest in that way, what are you going to do about it? Now you have a huge burden instead of something that you can enjoy. And, uh, and quite often, if it doesn't happen, you think, oh, gee, I've failed at programming. No, you haven't failed at programming. You've just programmed in the wrong thing at the wrong time. You have to, so, means, you have to the means to have that success and have the plan set to make it happen, right? Right. And uh, the, the good thing is, is, you can, you can always use programming to move yourself forward. Uh, okay, you can use programming in health. If you suffer poor health, you should be supporting your health through programming. If you have financial issues, you should be supporting yourself uh, through, that, through those times with programming. Uh, these are things that help you keep your mind while everybody else is running around screaming with their hands in the air. You're... Uh, you're keeping yourself even keel on all this, and you're going through the through the processes with a lot less stress. So, if you want to learn programming in the law of attraction, you can read your books first of all, and then after reading your books, is sign up for mentoring. Is that correct? Well, uh, ZoxPro gives you the basics on on programming, so you can you can get it through ZoxPro, which uh, that has the mental photography as well, which makes our uh, which makes, by exercising our brain in this way, it makes our uh, ability to use law of attraction that much easier. But if you really want to take advantage of it, then you go into mentoring. And then you're taught things that are proprietary to the organization. And these are things that nobody else out there has. And then after that, best thing right now, you want to get started today with Zuxpro or mentoring is go to Zuxpro.com, right? Right. Because great things great happen things here. Happen here. <laughs> exactly. Great things happen here at Zuxpro.com. Check, check him out, Dr. Shannon Panzo. Make sure you follow him on all social media. Like, share this video, and tell your friends. And that's about it. And just say, there is the show, the Photographic Memory Podcast. Catch up on all the episodes. We appreciate it, Dr. Shannon. We'll talk soon. Thanks for having me, Neil. All right, that was the Photographic Memory Podcast, guys. Take care.